Amen, Amen. Yes, you. Can we auction it? <laughs> Great for everybody that's not part of us normally. It's good to have you with us tonight. So he is risen. No, 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 no. You don't understand what he did for you if you're going to only applaud him like that. He is risen. That's it. You see, he rose. When he rose, he brought life. When he rose, he broke the powers. We've sung things tonight that, that are a phenomenal promise from God to us. That we don't have to live under the yoke of the enemy any longer. Hallelujah. I don't know whether that excites you. But man, it causes me to become like a steam train. And remember that those who are forgiven much, love much. So I don't know whether you've been forgiven much. But I tell you what, I have. Here's, here's a mess that's been fixed up. And the mess has been turned into a message. Hallelujah. So, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. How many of you had a good lunch today? Oh. <laughs> You know the challenge about a Sunday evening, well, afternoon service, is you've got to be careful how much lunch you have. Otherwise, you want to go to snooze mode, you know, and um, try and be alive. So the, pudding, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You see, to make a declaration is one thing. Remember, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. It's the only resurrection that has ever happened out of any other God that ever uh, has, has claimed to be a God. There's only been one God that has raised from the dead again. There's only been one God that has raised people from the dead. Nobody else has ever done that. So we need to understand the power of this. And so Jesus makes statements concerning his death and resurrection. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read down to verse 20. It says this, But if it is preached that Christ has risen from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him in, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not still there. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here Paul is correcting some, some wrong thinking that's happening in the Corinthian church. And so the bedrock of our Christianity that separates Christianity from anything else is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every other, other whatever you want to call him, apostle of every other, their graves are still there. Their bones still lay in that tomb, but Christ's tomb is empty. Hallelujah. And that's what separates us. So if Jesus was never raised from the dead, then we have a couple of problems. In fact, we have a lot of problems. I mentioned, if you were on Friday, that every time you put the date on any document, you are declaring Jesus Christ came, 
Jesus Christ died and Jesus Christ rose again. Why? Because our dating system, our time system is based upon the birth of Jesus. So whether you are saved or not saved, whether you believe Jesus exists or not, you are declaring he came and he rose. Take that one, sports lover. I also mentioned that we have many public holidays in the year that, that we as Christians never put there, but that, that, that it's, it's recognized in our calendar. Christmas time, Easter time, Ascension time. Those things are celebrated by the whole world. They're there. You choose whether you want to celebrate them or not, but they're there. They documented that they're there. Here's the next thing. We are false witnesses about God if we profess that he didn't rise from the dead. So that means that you and I don't have a testimony and you have got nothing to say if Jesus never rose from the dead. Because, and this is the thing that we need to understand, our, our testimony is powerful because it is a witness of what Jesus has done in our life. So we were bound in our sin. We were messed up in a lot of things. And Jesus came and he started to put things back into order again. He came to heal our emotions. He came to heal our memories. He came to heal everything so that we could become whole again. And that is worth it. Our faith is worthless. That means you are believing on nothing. Because in Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So our faith is based on Jesus being raised from the dead again. That's why I have hope. That's why when I wake up in the morning, I have a song in my heart. That's why when trials and tribulation hit me, I still have bounce in my step. If Jesus was not raised, then I'm still in my sin. And I look around in this world today, and I see that we have a world that's very messed up because of sin. And people are hopeless because of sin. But the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, us that are sitting here and everybody else that celebrates his life, has got hope again. So that's not just something that you just wave around. That's something that grips your heart. It's not just something that we can create an atmosphere and all of a sudden you've got hope in your heart again. No, no, no. It's a change that takes place on the inside of you. It's the way that you look at life again. You look through different eyes. And so that's why in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah. You know, the, here's the interesting thing, that if Jesus didn't rise and Jesus didn't come and Jesus didn't do the miracles that he did, I was not able to change my way of living before that. I was not. As much as I would try, I would be able to do it for maybe a very short period of time, like an hour, two hours, stretching it one day, and somehow tomorrow morning I wake up and I fall back into that pit again that I'm trying to crawl out of. Not able to get there. But somehow, because of Jesus, I'm able to change this. Number seven, Christianity is nothing other than another religion. What's a religion? A bunch of do's and don'ts. A bunch of rules. That's all it is. We put, we put major emphasis on the getting together, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do that, and it's all mechanical. We've got to realize in our Christian life, there's nothing mechanical about it. There's a heart that longs 
to be with Jesus. And there's a heart to love longs to be in the presence of the Lord. A heart that longs when we're together like this to be in a time when we will worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's something that happens in our life. You can go to a, uh, what do you call those big music things? Musical festival, concert, whatever. And you and you leave there just as empty as you went. Just less energy. Because <laughs> you burned it all up, jumping up and down and shouting and screaming and da-da-da-da-da. It's amazing. We can go to the same thing called a concert where we're magnifying Jesus. We'll jump up and down and we'll do that thing. Why? Because of an excitement that's on the inside. Because I believe this, that when God touches this body, this body can't stand still. Life comes to it. And I don't know if you've ever seen something that's alive. It, does, it doesn't look the same anymore. And so what happens is we can move out. of. And when we walk out of a concert, we're more inspired. We're more in fire. We're more excited. We're more lust for life. We want to help more people. And so it's a very sobering fact that if Jesus never rose from the dead, there's a lot of things that would be different. And so because of that, I am very grateful. So let's look ahead at some statement that Jesus made about his resurrection in John chapter 2, verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, what signs can you show us to prove your authority to do all these, all this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and when I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple that he has spoken about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they then believed that the scriptures, the word that Jesus had spoken. And you look again in Mark chapter 15, people hurled insults. When Jesus made that statement, they reminded him of it. You said, da, 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 da. You, have, you ever, have you ever made a promise somewhere along the line and kind of like being reminded of it? <laughs> and so when you're going to make a crazy statement like Jesus did, and that I'm going to rise again from the dead, yes, you're going you're to draw some serious attention to your life. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22, it says, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will rise to life. And the disciples were filled with grief because they couldn't see it. Why? Because their point of reference is when people die, they stay dead. They had never been this before. They couldn't see past this. Peter even said, he said, he said I will not allow this. It wasn't long after that that Peter denied Jesus three times. What Jesus had told him actually came to pass. So did Jesus live up to his statement? Well, if you're going to read in Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, and John chapter 20, the statements of, of Jesus being raised from the dead. So the first thing if you look in there is that he appeared to the two Marys on the way from the tomb. So remember afterwards, they went to the tomb, the tomb was empty, and then, they, and then he, um, they were coming back and he appeared to them. He also appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were walking around, they were despondent, they didn't know, they couldn't, they were confused. And he lands up and he starts walking with them and they don't even recognize him. Have you been so despondent in your life sometimes you didn't even realize Jesus is standing right next to you? Because we get so consumed with the mountain that we're facing. We can't see anything else. Remember the Bible says this. He never leaves us nor 
forsakes us. It doesn't matter how bad it seems like it for you. Jesus is in the boat with you. It doesn't matter how tough the storm is, how big the waves are, how wild the wind is. It doesn't matter. Remember, Peter sunk because he took his eyes off Jesus when he was walking on the water to Jesus. And he looked at the waves and he says, and the wind. You see, you can't see the wind. You can only see the effects of wind. And so often we experience the effects of the enemy harassing us to try and separate us from Christ. He also appeared to the disciples of Galilee. And then he also appeared to the disciples again. Why? Because Thomas wasn't there. And when they told Thomas, we've seen the Christ, he says, if I don't see the holes and put my my finger into those holes, I will not believe. Here's the most amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus comes back again when he's there just so he can show. Here I am. Here I am. And then in in John chapter 21, Peter, after all this, it says, Peter always said, I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to my old way of life. And then guess what happens? Jesus goes looking for him. You see, Jesus, when he was alive, he told parables. And he told the parables of the, of the, the, the lost sheep, the one sheep, leaving the 99 and going to look for the one. And when Peter got lost, when Peter got all confused and lost his way and, and was disappointed and was, was driven more by what he had seen than what he had been listening to when Jesus was alive, he went back to his old way of life, to fishing again. And Jesus said, I, uh, I have called you. And he goes back for him because it makes him breakfast. On the side. I don't know about you, but I love breakfast. You want to get my attention? Give me breakfast. Maybe it's just because of the long night, you know, fasting. and I'm not too sure. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep. He appeared to 500 people. 500 people saw him. Isn't that amazing? You know, if you were, if you were trying to be skelimpies, how would you say skelimpies in, in English? Devious. It doesn't sound as nice as skelimpies. Yeah, it's like, no. You see, if Jesus wasn't wanting to reveal himself, he would only like to reveal himself to one or two people and then snuck out of town. But you see, Jesus wanted people to know, I've risen. I'm risen. I've, I've done what I said I would do. And 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it says, after that, I've read that one. So what type of things were said about Jesus proving himself of of his resurrection? Well, here's some things that that just picked up over the years. Number one, Jesus was not uh, dead, only unconscious and later revived. Now, remember, if you're going to answer these things, go and answer it with the word. Because the word is the the strongest foundation that you can build on. And so in Mark chapter 15, 44, Pilate was surprised and heard about uh, that he was already dead and summoned the centurion and he asked him if Jesus was already dead. So remember, these are people that, that noticed Jesus, that, 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 that were a problem to him, to them, centurion. So he knew that Jesus and everything that he had done. And so here they were surprised. And in John 19, 32, it says the soldiers didn't break Jesus' legs, but they they broke the legs of the thieves next to him, and they put a spear in his side. And the only reason why they didn't break Jesus' legs is because he was already dead. And if you don't understand how the cross works, that because they had the the, the pins in his uh, nails in his hands, that he, he couldn't breathe. 
And he had to push himself up on his legs to be able to get air into his lungs. And so if they weren't dead, they broke the legs so that you couldn't do that. And so eventually you would die. But Jesus was already dead. But just to make sure, they put a spear into his side to make sure that he's dead. So if he was dead, then, I mean, sorry, if he wasn't dead, they would have broken his legs. And and this fulfills what the Bible says. Number two, it says the woman made a mistake and went to the wrong grave. It's great. Yeah, it was dark. (laughs) Maybe there was load shedding that day. Not too sure. But in Matthew 27, 59 down to 61, it says, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Listen to this. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb. The question is, did the woman go to the wrong place? No, because they saw exactly where Joseph had put Jesus in the tomb that Joseph had cut for himself. In John chapter 20, on the Sunday, Peter and John went to the same tomb again. So the Bible answers the question that the, that, um, the woman never went to the wrong grave. In fact, everybody went to the right grave. Number three, unknown thieves have stolen Jesus' body. Again, in Matthew 27, 63, Sir, this is somebody talking to Pilate, said, We remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, (laughs) the deceiver, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal his body. And I have just lost my place because my finger touched the wrong place. Come and steal his body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. And so then the last deception will be worse than the first. So they knew. They were clever. They were listening. And so, but now what you need to understand, and then verse 65 says, Take God, Pilate answered, go and make the tomb as secure as you know. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand. If the Roman soldiers were, what's a nice word to describe them? Mean is not. No, they, they were rough. Um, they killed you and then asked questions afterwards. That's kind of like who they were. You didn't cross them. They, 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 they were aggressive. They were tough. They were strong. Um, say again? Ruthless. I thought you said reflex. I'm just saying, how does that fit into my, my statement over here? They were Ruthless. So you need to understand that if the Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb, nobody was coming near them. Because here's the deal. If they didn't do what they were told to do, they died. So they were going to guard that with their life. Because if they didn't die protecting it, they were going to die afterwards anyway. And so you need to know that 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 statement of that somebody came and stole it, if they could get past them, they were brave people. They should have been in the army themselves. Number four, disciples stole uh, Jesus' body. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some of uh, them who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, here's the deal. You can maybe make up a story to protect someone, but if it's going to cost your life, 
Are you going to carry on with the story? You can answer me. Second, sir. You see, you're only going to give your life for the truth. And so if, if, if Jesus didn't rise, if they had stolen his body and they had hid it somewhere and they were now about to die for this thing, they were going to go and produce the body very quickly. And so we see over here that the disciples uh, were prepared to die for their faith and because it wasn't, it wasn't a lie, it was the truth. In Matthew 27, 16, the tomb was sealed and guarded by those Roman soldiers. So guaranteed, nobody was going around there very quickly. Romans 28, 11, God's told the chief priest what had happened and they were paid to lie. The Bible records that. That they were paid to lie to put it out there. Number five, the religious leaders stole Jesus' body. That's like funny. You see, if the religious leaders had stolen Jesus' body, they would have had to produce it. They would have produced it very quickly to stop all the rumors that were running around. Because that was going to cause them more headache than before. So those are kind of like the things out there that people use to say that Jesus was a fake, Jesus is not real, Jesus didn't come, all those things. So what does the death and resurrection of Jesus do for us? Let's read Isaiah 53. We're close to landing. Verse 1 says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and he held him, and, they, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our, again, surely, where are you? Uh, Shirley's over there, but surely, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living from the transgress- for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. Uh, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many 
and made intercession for the transgressions. Yeah, that is a mouthful. But Jody spoke about that covenant in worship. I mentioned briefly, and that is what happened over here. You see, covenant we don't understand. It's a foreign word. We know of it intellectually, but we don't live it. It's, it's, not, it's not entwined in our culture. But in the Jewish culture, it was, it was part of their life. You see, because covenant means there's a swapping, there's a, there's a transferring. It's briefed in the thing of what is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. And so when you go into marriage, how many of you have built your marriage on what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine? <laughs> then I was going to ask you, did it last? <laughs> okay? You see, many of us, we're very selfish. In fact, this world is very selfish. We want to get as much as we can. And it's all about me, 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 I, I, I. But yet God comes and it's nothing about him. It's all about us. And so, yeah, God gives his son and he comes and he pays for all the things that is against us. The judgments that are against us, Jesus takes on. So from the time that he went into the the garden of Gethsemane and he started to shed blood, sweating blood because of the pressure that was on his life, all the way through to the punching him and pulling his beard out and the crown of thorns on his head and everything and the whipping post. And the stabbing of the spear, all those things, he was taking on himself aspects of the works of darkness that was assigned against us. And he was paying the price so we could be free. That is amazing. So when we just look at this passage of scripture, remember the question is, what did Jesus' death do for us? Number one, he was rejected so we could be accepted. People have rejected you. But Jesus has never rejected you. You've lived, I've lived badly, and yet he's never chased us away. People don't want us around them, but Jesus is always calling us. He's calling us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. It's easy and light. He was crushed so that we would be built up and edified. Can I ask us a favor? While we live our life, during the day, during the week, weekend, wherever you're, when you're around people, will you allow Jesus that lives on the inside of you to edify somebody around you? Will you do that? Will you make a conscious effort to say something about someone that's genuine from your heart, but that's the voice of heaven to that person in that moment? Will you do that? Will you live your life like that? Because if you will, I'm telling you, you will see some amazing things happen. So you see, he was crushed so that we would be edified. He was punished that we might receive grace. We don't. That's what grace is. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Forgot it for a moment. In other words, what it's saying, grace is you get treated the way that you you don't deserve to be treated. So when you should be punished, let's create a a scenario. You've done something wrong. You've gone to court. And the court judgment is you're going to jail. Or you're going to lose your life. And all of a sudden, somebody else stands up and says, No, I will do their sentence for them. Will you let them go free? That's exactly what Jesus did at the cross. He took your and my sentence so that we could go free. He was abused. 
so that we could experience love. Every time that they pulled the beard out of him and they punched him, the one time they punched him and said, prophesy, who punched you? Every time he took a beating like that, he was taking the beating and he was pouring out love over you and I. That whoever would come to him would know what real love is. You see, the world says love is a feeling you feel when you feel a feeling which feels like a feeling you've never felt before. And God's love says, I love you in spite of. I love you because I created you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I never created you with a mistake. I never created you broken. I created you whole. And Jesus came to make us back. Not make us, that's not good English. To get us back to being whole again. Physically, one day we'll have bodies that don't get old. Hallelujah. We're going, to have, we're going to have minds that are going to be sharp again. We're going to live in an atmosphere. Can you imagine living in an atmosphere where there's no sin? There's no hatred. There's no anger. There's no revenge. I mean, that's like amazing. There's no road rage. <laughs> I almost made another statement which would have got me into a lot of trouble. He was whipped that we might be healed. Here's an interesting thing, and um, I think my facts are right. Okay, so I'm saying I think, and I, if you're a medical doctor over here, and you, Jesus received how many stripes? 39. If my facts are correct, every sickness and disease that exists in the world falls into 39 major categories. Isn't that amazing? He took it how many years ago? Almost 2,000, 2,000 something years ago. And then it was documented. How did they know that how many sicknesses and diseases are going to be in the world today? I mean, COVID arrived that nobody knew nothing about. And so it says there, he was whipped that we might be healed. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I love that. You know what? Tim, can I use you as an illustration, please? Waza. Me, it's a belief. I'm choosing you because you've got a frame that's bigger than mine. So, here's, here's how it works. Okay, we're gonna, you're gonna have to, no, you must face them because they want to see how amazing you are. Okay, so, so, <laughs> so I want you to see how this thing works. That Jesus took us and he went before the Father, he on the, on the altar, he, he presented his blood which covered all these things. So when it says we become the righteousness of God in Christ, this is what happens. And the Bible says, I am hidden in Christ. Right? Okay? So this is exactly what it means. So that when you're looking, no, no, you can cheat. But when you're looking from this side, who do you see? You see Tim. You don't see me. And that's what it means, that when you and I are in Christ, we're hidden. And when God looks at you and I, he sees Jesus. And he, when he sees Jesus, he is happy and he says, accepted. Accepted. That is a big deal right there. Thank you, sir. You're amazing. That is a big deal. That is why God never rejects us. Because he always looks at us through the glasses of Jesus. 
He looks at what the, the final sacrifice that Jesus did. And so when he sees you, he sees his son. Oh, I love that. He died that we could have eternal life. We have eternal Listen, these physical bodies are not going to live forever. And praise God, they're not going to live forever because if it hurts me like it does now, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I'm 90. And then when I'm, I think of when I read about Moses and all those characters that lived so many hundred years, I'm thinking, I wonder what their life was like. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> so, so we're going to have, we're going to, we're going to have eternal life. These bodies are going to be glorified bodies. What does that look like? If you read about Jesus when he rose from the dead and he goes and sees his disciples in the upper room, he didn't come through the door. He appeared. Hello, guys. Where did you come from? You see, because the new body is not limited by walls and stuff. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not um, susceptible to corruption and sickness and disease and all that kind of stuff. Can it be amazing bodies? Lord, I want to live my life long over here, but I can't wait for heaven for that body. He was cursed so that we would be blessed. He was cursed that we would be blessed. Some of us are living life just trying to exist on earth. And I want to tell you, I don't believe it's God's heart and God's desire that we just exist. We are not holding on with white knuckles hoping for Jesus to come back soon. I believe Jesus wants us to thrive and to live well all the days of our life. I didn't say that we wouldn't have problems. We will have problems. The Bible says if you want to live godly, you're going to have persecution. There's going to be trouble. You're going to have people that do not like you. They're going to make life difficult for you. But what Jesus did for me, I can have peace in that moment. I can, I, can, I can have an attitude inside me that, God, I still want to bless this person, even though they're going out of their way to hurt me. So he became the curse so that we could be blessed. In 1 John 3 verse 8, I love the scripture. It says, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He came to destroy the work. There's going to be a final day when the devil is, is, is sent to hell forever. But he destroyed everything that the devil does, has used, and can use against you and I. Jesus has undone it. There's a way out of that. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says he, he makes a way so that you and I can stand up under it. In that situation, we can still stand up. Jesus said this in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The Bible is good news. The Bible is going to create excitement on the inside of you. Can somebody just agree, please? It's good news. It's good news that I know that when I'm in a situation that I have no answers for, Jesus has an answer. It's good news that when I have run into a brick wall, that God can turn everything around, and all of a sudden, what should have happened to me doesn't happen to me. It's good news. He says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Ha <laughs> ha. You and I were bound in sin. We had a life sentence of sin over us. I don't know whether some of you have had the opportunity to be able to minister in prisons and stuff, but I have. I want to tell you, going into prison is not a very nice place. There is an aroma inside there that is terrible. The atmosphere is terrible. Uh, it's just tense. 
But here's the wonderful thing. You go inside there and you, you, you minister the word of life. And it's amazing how people start to change just because of the word of life. And so he says here, he sent us to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. There are many things in my life I've never saw. And all of a sudden, God starts to open my eyes and I start to see them. Things about my own life that were like a blind spot. Sometimes Shirley said, did you know you do this? And I said, no, because I had a blind spot. He's opened my eyes. He's opened my eyes that when I'm with you, when with people, then all of a sudden he shows me something. And I'm thinking, I've got no basis to know that. But all of a sudden, I'm, this is what I'm sensing. And when you start to speak about it, then all of a sudden, you become the, 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 the source of life into someone else's house. Why? But life, because Jesus, his intention is to help others. Says there, receive recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Say that. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Say it again. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The favor of God is on you. When you look at your life, not look at your life, when you look in the mirror, tell yourself, the favor of God is on me. The favor of God is on me. In my working environment, God, you will promote me. Why? Because your favor is on me. Why? Because you want to put me in a place that I can be a person of influence so that many people can see who Jesus is, can see the goodness of God over my life. Not that we're seeking for position, but God positions us so that we can get a job done. His favor is upon you. Last scripture as I land, John eleven twenty five. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He is risen. I think in Ireland, I think it's in Ireland, they say, you say, he's risen. Indeed he does. Indeed he is. Okay, so I'm going to say that. I'm going to say he's risen, and you say, indeed he has. Okay, okay, cool. Ready? He is risen. Ah, it sounds good. Say it again. He is risen. <laughs> Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you. We don't understand it fully. We read and our minds are being renewed. But to understand exactly what you have done in Christ is still becoming a revelation to us. But I ask tonight, will you open our eyes that we will see? And Lord, we're not existing, but we're here to live, to live for you, to see you in all your glory, to, to see your mighty hand move and touch people's lives that no man can in Jesus' name. And Father, we stand before you tonight, not wanting to take any glory for what you are doing, but Lord, to be instruments in your hand to see people's lives touched. We, hate, we give ourselves to that very thing. And so I pray for all of us today, Lord, in our, in our neighborhoods, open doors for us. In our working environment, open doors for us, I pray, in Jesus' name. 
Wherever we are, when we're in the shop, open, do- open doors and opportunities for us. I ask in Jesus' name. May your kingdom come and your will be done in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for dying for us, Jesus. But more than that, thank you for rising back to life. Which demonstrates your greatness, demonstrates who you are. And we love you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for the great work that you've started. But thank you that you said you would complete it. So will you keep willing and working your great pleasures in our life? We ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just thank him for a moment. Just for all the things that you've experienced in life. His goodness. He's protected you. He's provided for you. He's connected you. He's done so many things. Father, we thank you tonight for your amazing love. Oh, Lord, it feels so great to be loved and to be accepted. In Jesus' name, thank you for those things. Thank you for the amazing people you've put into our life, Lord. The relationship, people that are so different. But, Father, our hearts connect, and it's just such an amazing experience. Thank you for your family that we are part of. That together, God, we can inspire each other. We can declare your greatness, Lord. We thank you so much to be thankful for. In Jesus' name. So while we're in this this attitude of thankfulness, maybe you're here tonight, some visiting people, some people from out of town, but you don't know that your life is recorded in heaven. Jesus said that when we give our lives to, to the Lord, our names are engraved in the book of life in heaven. Jesus comes and lives in our heart, but he only comes in because you invite him in. He loves you so much that he respects your choice. And if that's you tonight, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be part of your life. Or maybe you have, but you, you kind of like have got to a place where you became despondent. You've walked away from God and, and you realize tonight, you know what? I'm really not all there. And tonight you want to give your life back to him. If you fall into any of those two categories, we would love the privilege to pray with you tonight and pray for you. We can't take you to heaven. We never died for you, but Jesus did. And he's asked us to tell the story to give people an opportunity so they can respond to that most amazing love. And if that's you in this room tonight, just quickly, will you put your hand up and just say, yes, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus, or I want to rededicate my life to Jesus tonight. That is the greatest miracle that you will ever experience in your life. It's changing your life from being eternally separated from God to be eternally connected and to be with Him. That's the greatest miracle. Is there anybody in this room, you're saying, yes, that's me. I need Jesus. I've become cold. I'm not serving God anymore. I come to church, but really, there's no fire on the inside of me. Anybody in this place? Jesus is knocking on your door. The door handles on the inside. You have to open you have to open. Revelation, he says, behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you will open, I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. Is there anybody? Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. So, Father, I thank you for everybody in this place tonight. I thank you that you're good. Lord, I thank you that you've destined every single person for great things for you. And I'm asking that, Lord, every single day when we spend time with you, when we read your word, when we pray, 
when we have meetings like this and in your presence in worship, I pray that the fire of God would burn stronger and stronger every time. Increase it, I pray. Increase it, I pray. In Jesus' name. May we not be lukewarm Christians walking around, occupying. No, Lord, I pray that we will be people on fire looking for opportunities, being game changers, being people that will bring the presence of God in places just because we are excited and so expectant. I ask that tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can I have your attention, please? One of the things that took place, Jesus was whipped so that we could be healed. And if we preach that, then I believe God wants to do that because his word says so. So I want to ask you, do you have a need? Maybe it could be a physical need. Maybe it's an emotional need, whatever. It might be a financial need. It might be whatever. But whatever it is, we want to stand with you and we'll pray. Can I ask the worship team to come up and just lead us in, in just some worship, please, while just creating an atmosphere.